Again, it's a good morning. It's good to see you all and worship together. I always enjoy that, probably more than, more than y'all realize, uh, just hearing you sing and singing together just fills my cup. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, we mentioned it, I mentioned it in the welcome, but uh, today is Senior Sunday where we're going to be honoring our seniors uh, for the accomplishment that they have, uh, that they have finished or f- about to finish, uh, surviving school. You know, you can read in the handout, our seniors have done some pretty awesome things, but I think ingrained within what, every one of those is they survived. And, that, and parents too, that's great. Teachers, definitely, uh, you survived. Some of them especially, but one of the things that I realized is, is school is a survival thing. I have been reminded of this more so whenever my daughters have started asking me for help on their homework. And I'm like, okay, I, I got a master's degree. Walt, it's not in engineering. It's, it's a lesser master's, as it were, all right, so Walt knows that. But with my master's degree, I still, there are still some second and fifth grade teachers that can make me feel like an idiot. Because I'm trying to help out my daughters, and I'm like, I don't get this. Either school has changed, or I'm not as smart as I thought. And I'm guessing some of you who are ahead of me in this whole parenting thing, does it get any better? Okay, I'll take that laugh as a no. It does not get any better. Fair enough. I, and, and I hate that feeling, and I'm sure you do too, especially for my kids. Right now, I, I, I'm of that place where I want to be the source of their, you know, if they have a question, I want them coming to asking me, and I want to have an answer. And I'm coming to the place where some of those answers, I'm like, I don't really know, but I'll give you this. Because no one likes to feel like an idiot. No one likes to be a fool. In fact, I learned this early on. Uh, if, if you grew up in a certain generation, you were familiar uh, with this guy. I learned very on that you pity the fools. And no one wants to be pitied by Mr. T. And, and so, I, you know, this whole idea of being a fool was not something that anyone really wants. Book of Proverbs has plenty of things to say about the negative aspects of the foolish. And, and we all get that, don't we? Because no one wants to be a fool. That's what makes Paul's words so strange in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10. He says this, that we are fools for Christ. We are fools for Christ. It, it, that sounds weird because I didn't think I was supposed to be anybody's fool. I wasn't supposed to be a fool. I'm supposed to be wise. Isn't that the point of learning? Isn't that the reason we send our kids to school and, may, and even off to college or trade school or to learn something? We want them to be knowledgeable. We want them to be wise. So it sounds really strange for Paul to say, we're fools for Christ. In fact, earlier in this letter, in chapter 1, he even describes that this is exactly the good thing that we want. We are to be fools, because, fools for Christ because in that foolishness there is great wisdom, which sounds counterintuitive, which sounds like a paradox. In fact, that's exactly what it is. This is the last paradox we'll be looking at in this series. We'll be starting a new series next week. 
But the paradox that we're going to be focusing on today is that we can have true wisdom through what I'll call perceived foolishness. Perceived foolishness. Because make no mistake, if you decide to follow Christ, when you decided to follow Christ, there are many people in this world that thought of you not as a fool for Christ. They just thought, thought you were simply a fool. You're just a fool. Who would believe this stuff? Who would ever consider this stuff as being actually true and beneficial? No wise person, the world may say. Paul helps us understand this and says this is the way it should be. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says this. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. He doesn't mince his words here. He's pretty clear. The message of the cross is foolishness to those headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. See, the rest of the world will think this is foolish to worship some guy who died 2,000 years ago. The rest of the world is going to think it's foolish to hold to the Bible's standards for living. But we that are in Christ know that it is the very power of God. This whole idea of worshiping a guy that died on a cross probably doesn't sound weird to us because we're so used to it. If you grew up in the church, if you've been here any amount of time, you're pretty sure you've gotten used to this idea of what we talk about in communion, you know, before the Lord's Supper, the scriptures we might read there, the praise, prayers we might pray there, or just the whole conversation that worshiping a guy who uh, would claim to be God and died on a cross, that feels almost normal. Even in our town, it's, you're not going to get too ridiculed for that. But I want you to know how, how crazy this idea must have sounded in the beginning. And even how c continuing crazy it still sounds. Imagine this, if you'll allow me paint a different picture. Let's say you come up to someone and instead of wearing a necklace that has a cross on it, which would be a good indicator that, well, this person must be a Christian or at least believes in Christ, what they have instead of a cross, a gold cross, they have a gold electric chair. You see that? Or maybe they, on their t-shirt they got a hangman's noose, you know, on a guillotine. And, and that may sound strange, uh, but, you know, people are crazy. We kind of get that. But then that person begins to tell you, you know, the person who died in this electric chair, he did not deserve it. He lived a great life. He claimed to be God. He was God. And he died so that you and I could die to ourselves and live forever. And they even have songs. Oh, that wonderful electric chair. The old rugged guillotine. You starting to realize just how silly that sounds to the world? That's what often they think of Christianity. We sing songs about this glorious cross. The cross was a means of death. No one would want to worship anyone that died on a cross. No one in their right mind, as it were. It's what today's world often may think about that. Is, it's like worshiping someone who died in an electric chair. That just sounds weird. Sounds strange. We don't just get that ridicule in our culture. Every culture 
since Christ came and walked the face of this earth, has gotten ridiculed for following Christ. In fact, one of the uh, earliest pictures about relating to Christian worship was, uh, was really kind of sketched, or at least um, was graffiti, on a plaster wall in the 200s A.D. And, and I have a picture of this. If you, could, you may not be able to fully tell what it is. It's called the Leximenos Graffito. Uh, it's graffiti about Alexamenos. And what it is, if you can't fully tell, on the left-hand side there is a guy that uh, is, is seen somewhat kneeling or worshiping someone on a cross. Now, that may look a little bit different if you can look closer. The person on the cross has a human body but a donkey's head. And the inscription under it basically says, Alexamenos worships his God. This is meant as a ridicule statement, saying Alexa Menos is worshiping a guy who died on a cross that was pretty much akin to a donkey. Just think of the implications. And this is a time whenever it was not good in society. You were often not more than just ridiculed. You might even be killed for your faith. But this shows that the ridicule was there. It was there then, and it's there now. Our high schoolers have had to endure it in school, I know. People questioning, why do you do this? Why do you follow that? High schoolers, it's not going to get any better in college. And even in life, in general. Because the cross is foolishness to those destined for destruction. People think it's foolish. But this foolishness, Paul says, actually is great wisdom. Continuing on in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, uh, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed to destruction, but we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. All the scriptures say, I, uh, as the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. What, what Paul is saying here is that there's always going to be this desire to be wise, there's always going to be this desire to have knowledge, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's a fairly good thing. We want all of society to get some knowledge, to have wisdom in their decisions. But whenever we promote and use our wisdom as a means to taking care of everything ourselves, that's where it becomes a problem. Whenever our wisdom is the only thing that we trust in, whenever our wisdom it gives us the place where we don't need God anymore, what happens in that moment is that God uses our wisdom and makes it just like foolishness. Because he does something in that moment, quite often, that rocks our core. He destroys a lot of our wise thoughts. He crashes into our preconceived notions. And he makes us look like fools in our own wisdom because we tried to do it ourselves. And that's the, the reality, but even when that happens, there are people that will still not think Christ is wise or think following Christ is right, wise. Paul continues, verse 22, he says this, it is foolishness to the Jews who are asking for signs from heaven, and it's foolishness to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. What Paul is, is uh, talking about here is two categories of people that all of humanity will fit under. 
you're either a Jew or you're not. Uh, and here he calls it a Gentile or a Greek. And so these are the two categories of people. And he says, it's foolishness to the Jews who ask for signs. The Jews have already bought into following this God. They want signs from Jesus to confirm that he is actually who he says he is, from God. And since they don't think Jesus gave those signs, anyone would be a fool who tries to follow Christ as God, so it's foolishness to them. Gentiles, on the other hand, the Greeks, are so about their wisdom, so about knowing things, that they are, on, they are beyond this whole monotheistic one God thing. They are worshiping all these gods that give them all the wisdom. They're talking about the next idea and the next thing coming up. And so to worship a one God, that one God who decides to come and, in human form and die on a cross, that's foolishness. Because no one in their right mind would worship a God like that. There's no wisdom in that. And Paul says, there's those kind of people. But, he continues, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. This is the upside-down, reverse kind of nature of how God works. You think something's really powerful and strong, and God comes in and says, yeah, I can, I can wipe that out with just a word. A simple word. You might think a word is weak, but a word from God's mouth is pretty strong. The whole cosmos was created at the word of God. That's pretty impressive. By simple things, weak things, like the cross. The cross was considered one of the, the worst ways to die in that time period. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. No one would willingly subject themselves to the cross. Or at least in our human understanding, no one in their right mind. But Christ wasn't just in his right mind. Christ was in full righteousness. And Christ willingly took on the cross the shame of the cross because he knew the rest of the story. See, he was willing to be humiliated on the cross because three days later, he would scorn the shame of the cross by raising from the dead, showing that the cross has no power. What they thought was the ultimate power, the ultimate de definition of a criminal is if you died on the cross. That was the worst. Christ used that as the beginning of righteous. Those who would claim to be righteous would put themselves on the cross. This is a reverse kind of nature. It's the paradox of following Christ, that we can have true, authentic life through his death. That's the first in this series that we talked about on Easter, Life and Paradox, was that we can have life through death. All these other paradoxes are because of that one. 
Because the original paradox that we can have life through death, all these other things that don't make sense to the world make sense to those in Christ because we have wisdom by being fools for Christ. We have great wisdom because we have given our lives to Christ. The world may think it's foolish, but as fools for Christ, we have some amazing things to teach this world. As fools for Christ, we don't have to work for our salvation. While the rest of the world is trying to work to be good enough, to be nice enough, to be deserving of something in the after, Christians don't have to balance our good deeds to our bad deeds. Christians accept the gift of salvation that is offered to us. Isn't that beautiful? I want to be a fool for Christ because all I have to do is accept it. Now that life choice changes everything in my life, don't get me wrong. But it's a beautiful gift that's offered freely. You don't have to work for your salvation as a fool. As a fool for Christ, you don't have to work, you don't have to do this dog-eat-dog world to try to make a name for yourself. Most of our culture is trying to do that. They want to go out and put their mark in the world. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but that's their God for some. Is they want to go and, and they want people to know who they are, to know their name. But as a fool for Christ, I don't have to do that rat race. You know what I get to do? I can rest assured that my name is written in the only document that really matters, the book of life. And if my name is written there because I'm a fool for Christ... That's the only place it really matters. It's fools for Christ. We don't have to try to go around and please everyone. As a pleaser myself, as a guy who really wants everyone around them to be truly happy, I want to please you, and I, I, I want to work through that system. I want to do my best to make you feel safe, secure, happy, comfortable, to please you. I want you to think well of me because of that. And you know what? That's tiring. Because let's just be honest, some of you are hard to please. Not naming names. And as a fool for Christ, I don't have to stress out trying to please everyone. As a fool for Christ, I get to love everyone and that pleases the one and only. When you understand what a fool for Christ really truly is, the way of the cross isn't foolishness anymore. The way of the cross is the only way of life. It's the only way that makes sense. Because while other people are trying to rely upon their own wisdom to get through this life, fools for Christ can rely upon God. The one who created all life, the one who holds it together, sustains it all. So this morning... I'm going to ask you, are you a fool for Christ? It may not be as a bad a thing as you thought. And in fact, it might just be the wisest decision you could ever make. So this morning, if you've never made that decision to be a fool for Christ, to give your life to Him, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to invite you to make that decision publicly before us, to come through the waters of baptism, giving your life to Christ. The world may think you a fool, but Christ will call you His own child. And that is a beautiful, beautiful title to have. So this morning, if you're in need of anything, would you let it be known as we stand and as we sing?